And since Pastor Corey isn't here, I said that he isn't here, and so I saw three families get up and leave. Uh, so, oh, Pastor Corey's not here, I'm leaving. Church is not today. So, but since he's not here, um, you don't get to hear no hunting stories. So, I'll give an impression of Pastor Corey. How about that? Just a, if you're watching Pastor Corey, this is you. All right. So this is, would be him coming in on a Monday morning into the office. And he's like, <clears throat> D-Rob, it was four in the morning, 22 degrees outside. Of course, you wouldn't know. You were cozied up in a warm bed. Wimp. I added that part just to... I was in a camouflage, deer blind, grease paint on my face, deer urine on my boots. I don't know why. Had my 30 out six. With an amazing scope, I could see the heartbeat of the deer. Have a bullet that goes 2,200 feet per second. Saw that dad blamed deer over there, put the crosshairs on it, and pulled the trigger and blasted that sorry sapsucker. And I'm just like, dude, it's not that hard. I killed one with my van going 55 miles per hour, my headlights on, and the horn a blowing. Like, it's not that hard, Pastor. So he gets discouraged. And anyways, there's, there's Pastor Corey for you. So he had a little bit of him this morning. All right, so. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 5. Let me give you a quick context of the uh, story. So after being delivered from Egypt. So Israel was in slavery for 400 years to the country of Egypt. Um, And so God delivered them. And they were wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, waiting to go into the promised land, the land that God had for them. And so they came to the Jordan River right across from the promised land. And the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' last few messages to the Israelites. And so this is where we pick up. Pretty much he was telling them, listen, you're so stubborn. We've been in the wilderness. You keep forgetting about God's love and his power. Come on, guys. We got to straighten up. And so here it is, Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 5. Be careful to obey all the commands I am giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out. Your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. I'm sure you're aware of it, 
just looking around. I've talked to, to multiple pastors uh, in the past month or two, and it just seems like there's like a spiritual fog over our nation, over our churches, and we get so excited. Like I guarantee everybody yesterday, except for Georgia fans and FSU fans, they were so excited to see FSU go down and, and, and Florida take the victory. Probably screaming their heads off. Then we come in here and we're like, what is he going to give you? So we need to be excited about what Jesus is doing. He saved us. We have a relationship with the God of the universe. And, and it seems like just people are so down and, and they're just like talking about everybody else. They, it's almost like we want people to fall. We're, we're so dead. Or I want God to do something for me. But all we're doing is sitting on a pew. So what in the world can we do? And you might be asking, well, D-Rob, are you angry? No, I'm, I'm actually really excited because I know right here in God's word is the answer to flip-flop that around, to be excited and to impact this world with the gospel. Too many times we want to sit on the sidelines and watch other people take initiative to make things change. But the thing is, we have to be the change. So my first point is this. In order to change, you should, number one, remember your salvation. Remember your salvation. Verse 2, it says, remember how the Lord God led you. Now, I was talking about through the wilderness, but in order to get to the wilderness, he had to deliver them from Egypt. And then you look down to 14. Do not become proud at that time, talking about going into the land, and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of of Egypt. Think back to the moment when you cried out to God to save you. The moment you got saved, all those burdens being released, all the peace filling you up, the excitement that you had for Christ. We need to get that back. Psalm 51 12 says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. How quickly do we forget what Jesus did for us? We should be the most excited people in this world realizing that we have life. So going back to the story, uh, Israel was delivered from Egypt, 400 years of slavery. God finally heard their cries and delivered them. And so they came out, Moses led them, and they came to the Red Sea. Okay. Thanks, God. Now we have nowhere to go. They're surrounded by the Red Sea. What do we do now? They look behind them, and the Egyptian army is pursuing them. And, and you hear the uh, Israelites complain to Moses, Exodus 14, 12. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Don't we do the same, same thing many times? We, we look back. God's telling us to do something great. But we get too scared. And we're like, you know what, God? We used to be slaves to sin. Well, I think I'm going to go back into that stuff. I'm comfortable there. I've been doing it for so long. I'm going to go back to that. That's what the Israelites were saying. Let's go back and be the slaves to Egypt again. I don't want to die out here. 
Well, God's calling us to do something great. And Moses is like, listen, just let God deliver you from this situation. Listen, God didn't deliver you out of Egypt to let you die in the wilderness. Jesus didn't save you just for you to be ruled by sin again. God has delivered us from sin. There's no reason for us to look back at at the hardships, look back at and want to go back to those things just because we're comfortable in those things. Well, I'm having a hard day. I might as well just go throw some back. My wife's annoying me. Let's slap her around. We can't go back to the things that we used to do. Jesus has delivered us. We have to remember our salvation, that moment when God lifted up all those things from us. Get that excitement back. I'm going to tell you right now, until we get that same excitement, this fog that's over us is going to stay over us. I I was talking to Mr. Don right before the service. He's like, man, we in order to, to see change, we have to expect change. Like, imagine Florida going out there yesterday against FSU expecting to lose. They would have lost. You have to expect victory. There was this little boy in this little town. Um, it was a farmer's town. They were having a, a big old drought, no rain for, for months. And so since it was a farming town, there was no crops, and the people there didn't know what to do. And so they all said, we, hey, we need to go and pray together in the church. So that night, everybody came praying. About five minutes later, after everybody gets there, this little boy comes in with his rain jacket and his umbrella. He expected God to answer his prayers. We need to be that, like that little boy that expects God to change everything that we're going through, that expects God to change our hearts, to give us a desire to overcome the things that we're going through. Remember the joy of your salvation. But the second thing is this. In order to change, you should review your sanctification. Now I'm going to read through the scripture one more time. Review your sanctification, starting in verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it, listen, he did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes did not wear out. Your feet didn't blister or swell. They were blessed. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So review your sanctification. What is sanctification? It's the process of being made holy. As I like to say, it's the process of being made more and more like Christ. In Romans 8.29, we see that we Uh, are supposed to be made more and more like Christ. And Christ does that for us, either by him allowing us to go through hard times and good times where he shapes us. It can be just that, or it can be a mixture of both, where we allow God to do things for us, 
we allow God to shape us even in the good times instead of allowing us to hit rock bottom. It can be our choice many times, whether, how, whether the way he uh, sanctifies us. So does God allow his people to struggle? The answer is yes, of course. So I might have shared this before, but the way I learned to swim was my dad just throwing me in the water. And I'm sitting there like for my life trying to, trying to stay above water. And then I would swim towards him. And what did he do? Back up and keep backing up. And eventually I was able to get to him. When he threw me into the water the, the next time, I got better and better and better. I, got, I was strengthened. Um, it grew my trust in my dad that when I was about to go under, he was going to pull me back up. He never once allowed me to go fully under. It, it grew my endurance and my strength, and now I lack nothing. James 1, 2 and, two and 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. After I learned how to swim, there's nothing I lacked in swimming. I could do it. When God allows us to go through hard times, eventually it's going to get a little bit easier. It's still going to be hard situations, but you know that he's going to pull you through. Crossover and lift, uh, my youth, hear this story a lot. Um, but it's one area that God strengthened me and finally just worked on me. Uh, some of y'all know this and some of you don't. In order for me to come here to Jonesville about three years ago, I had to leave my two boys. I was fostering them at the time, um, ready to adopt them. And so God was telling me, listen, you need to go to Jonesville. And I talked to Pastor Corey. I said, I don't, I don't know if I can go to your church. Um, these boys are important to me. In order for me to come to your church, I got to leave these boys behind, and I don't know if I'm willing to do that. Over time, God kept telling me, you need to go. Trust me. Eventually, I decided I needed to, to come to Jonesville. Um, and I remember the night where I gave my boys to the other foster parents. They got in their car and Danny was like, why are you doing this? And I couldn't, I couldn't hold back the tears. I shut the door, and they took off. That night, I remember just banging on the, the ground, punching the walls, crying to my parents. Uh, I called them, and I never cried in front of my dad that I re ever remember. And I remember that night, I just bawled my eyes out. Came to Jonesville. Um, sad confused. Why would God call me away from those boys? Well, 10 months later, those boys were reunited with us, and they are adopted now um, by us. And because of that situation, because God allowed me to go through that time, my faith in God has strengthened. So the next thing that God calls me to do, the more willing I am to do it because I trust him that he's going to follow through, that he's going to be faithful and he's going to equip me to do what I'm supposed to do. 
I just want to hit verse 3 one more time where it says, He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Too many people think that this life is about satisfying their appetites. I'm thirsty. I want to drink. I'm hungry. I want to eat. I want that woman. I go chase her. I want this alcohol. I go drink it. I want this drug. I go smoke it. Whatever I want, I'm going to do. That's what this life's about, many people think. We try to seek after everything that brings us satisfaction, and it leaves us empty-handed, and many times in a worse place than we began. Right here, it tells us that God is our satisfaction. If we would just allow him to fill us up. Let's have a, a little illustration for you. And so these ping pong balls right here represent everything that we try to find satisfaction in besides Christ. And so it may be money. So you get a, a couple jobs, a nice house, some other material things, a nice car, a couple guns. It could be people. We, pr- we try to find satisfaction in a woman or a man, in children. I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six for me. And so we try to find satisfaction in, in friends. Oh, if I'm around these people, they're going to make me successful. We try to find satisfaction in sin. Oh, go over here to these people. I love gossiping, so let me go over here and gossip with them. Oh, I love sex, so let me, let me go and this girl and this girl and this girl and this girl. Let me go over here, pornography. And we start filling ourselves up with all these things that we try to find satisfaction in. And soon, we're just filled up with this. It almost becomes our identity. That's who we are. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life, for living a satisfying life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Stay right there for a second. So when did we receive it? When we come to know him. At the moment of salvation, when we got Jesus, we got all of Jesus, and Jesus is all we need. He is our satisfaction. Verse 4. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption by, or caused by human desires. So we're filled up with all these desires and and satisfactions. But the word of God tells us not to be filled up by those things, but allow God to fill us up. And so how do we allow God to fill us up? Well, get into his word. Dig into his word. Uh, Psalm 119.11 says, 
if you would just hide his words in, in your heart so you might not sin against him. Fill yourself up with his word. Pray. Have a conversation with God. I've never seen a, a good relationship without communication. Get on your knees. Uh, uh, allow God to speak to you. You speak to him. Open the doors of communication in your life to the God of the universe. Another thing, I think this is a big one that many of us are missing out on, accountability in small groups. Stepping on some toes right there, I feel it. Accountability in small groups. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Not bashing anybody that does it because I do it too. But we, we come to this altar. God, I need healing. Help me to overcome this sin that I'm dealing with. But that's all we're doing. We're not surrounding ourselves with God's people right here in James 5.16. That can strengthen us. That can keep us accountable. That can encourage us and lift us up so that we can be healed. So get into God's word. Pray. Get to a small group where people can encourage you. And so we're filled up with all these things. But if we would just be filled up by God, so we, we read his word every day for about a week. Well, <laughs> nothing's changing, God. I feel a little juicy inside, but on Monday through Friday and Saturday, I'm feeling kind of dry. Well, if something is worth doing, it's worth doing continually. So I'm digging into his word. I'm praying. I'm spending time with his people. And I continue to do it. And I see some results. I see things coming out of my life. He's starting to fill me up. And then we're like, you know what? I I'm better than I used to be. I'm better than I used to be. And so I quit. I'm not like that person. I'm better than them. I don't have to do this anymore. So I quit filling myself up with the Lord. And so when I'm stressed out, or since it's my birthday, you know, I'm going to go bar hopping today. Well, I have a condom, so let me, let me go have sex with her. Well, I, I don't really like this guy, so I'm going to go and have a little confrontation with him. We allow the flesh to start taking over. And God says, do you want your identity to be me or this stuff? If you want it to be me, continue to pour me into you and over this stuff. And so you keep pouring, and you keep pouring, and you keep pouring. And eventually, these things come to the surface, and they just come off. And by the way, when you were filled halfway, when you had balls right here and the rest was water, from a far distance away, what's more visible? The balls, that sin, the inconsistencies in our life. Us being hypocritical. Well, I can do this stuff, but people see that. People see your inconsistencies. So we got to keep pouring it up. Be filled by God. And when we do that, we find satisfaction. 
and we're completely satisfied in him. Well, I just don't believe you. Well, I promise you, just, just try it. Give it a month where it's just Jesus. You're filling yourself up with him, and, and I promise you, you'll find satisfaction. And this is my favorite part right here. When these temptations come back, you know they're going to come back. Some people just leave your lives, I guess. But uh, temptations do come back in your life. Look at Egypt pursuing Israel. When they do, they can only stay on the surface. No matter how hard you try, you can't be, they can't root themselves in you. When you're filled with God and allowing him to shape your life, those things become much easier to resist. Look back in your life and understand and recognize what Jesus has done for you so far. He told me to leave to go some, to this place called Newberry to leave my boys, and then he brought them back to me. The Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years with no food. God provides manna, something they never seen before, for them to eat. They were thirsty. God provided water from a stinking rock. God's going to provide for you. Just be obedient to him, and I'll get to that point in a second. But recognize everything that God is doing in your life. Let him shape you, and you're going to be satisfied in him. That's when we're going to see change. That's when we're going to see the church, the body of Christ, do something in this world. Instead of us sitting in our butts doing nothing, we got to get up, go outside of these walls, be filled up by God, and impact some people. Lastly is this. In order to to change, you should remember your salvation, review your sanctification, and respond. You thought it was going to be an S word and a a T-I-O-N word, right? I changed it up. Respond with obedience. Respond with obedience. Verse 1. Be careful to obey all the commands I am giving you today. Then you will live and multiply. And you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Here's a a funny fact. It's actually a sad fact. The Israelites, after leaving Egypt, you know they came to the banks of the Jordan only about four in about four months. They came to the promised land in about four months. So they sent in 12 spies to check out the land. Is this, is this a good land? Is this everything that God has promised us? Those spies went into the land, scoped it out. Well, 10 of them, so there's 12, 10 of them came back and said, nah, there's giants in this land. They're going to kill us. We look like grasshoppers compared to them. Nah, we can't do this. Well, two of them came back, Joshua and Caleb. They said, this is exactly what the Lord has promised us. We need to go and take this land. But the people listened to the negative report. They, they scoped out that land for 40 days. But the people are too scared to go into it because they listened to the negative report. We need to listen to what God says. Because of that, God says this, okay, you were in there for 40 days, you didn't want to listen to me, So you're just going to wander in this desert for 40 years. 
and eventually you're going to see some great things and hopefully you'll trust me then. But you will never enter this land. Your children will. Those people never got to experience everything that God had planned for them. What are we missing out on because we're not being obedient, because we're allowing fear to take over? Hey, God's calling you to, to talk to your coworker. I'm too afraid. You're too afraid? Is this person going to end up in hell because the blood's on your hands? What are we scared of? God has us. The funny thing is this. So 40 years later, okay, they're going into the land. Eventually they go in, right? And they come to this, these two spies go in. They, they come into this little um, house of a prostitute named Rahab. And Rahab says this. Oh my goodness. We have been terrified for years because we heard about what the Lord has done for you. We'd have just let you take over everything. For 40 years, these people knew what God did for Israel. They were about to just let them have it. Hey, this, this land is yours. But Israel is too afraid to do it. They were not obedient. So 40 years, they went in the wilderness. I told this story to my youth, but uh, my, my nephew, my brother's son, um, he had this project he had to do for school. Well, the due date came. My brother gets an email. Your son didn't turn in his assignment. So we called him in there. Why didn't you finish this? I just, I just didn't get to it. Well, the teacher gave him some grace. Teacher said, okay, I'm going to give you two more weeks. And my brother's like, two more weeks? That's ridiculous. That's good. That's ridiculous. You don't need two weeks. He said, you better get this done. Or or you're not going hunting with me. Because they were planning on going hunting that next, uh, or in two weeks on the Friday. And so two weeks came by. Got an email from the teacher again. Uh, Your son didn't, didn't finish the assignment. He has this, that was a Friday. He has until this weekend on Monday to turn it in. But they were planning on going hunting that Friday. Well, my brother, being a good father, said, son, you can't go hunting with me. And he was all upset. He was crying, but why? You didn't do what you were supposed to do. So my brother goes hunting. He kills a monster uh, eight point that night. <laughs> My brother calls me. He says, dude, I'm sitting here crying because this was supposed to be my son's deer that he was supposed to kill. That was supposed to be his blessing. And it was almost like my nephew robbed his father from receiving a blessing because he wanted him to have that deer. How many times have we slacked off and not done what God wanted us to do and robbed God from a blessing because he wants to bless us? Any good parent wants to bless their children. 
we got to be obedient. Do what God has called you to do. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. My oldest daughter, Tiana, played soccer for the first time this year. First day at soccer practice, she goes up to her coach. Hey, coach, when do I get my trophy? (laughs) What? She didn't know any better. But I thought to myself, that's that's us. God, when are you going to bless me? And God's like, when are you going to do something? When are you going to do everything I play? I have all these blessings right here for you, but you're not doing them. I have this land for you to go into, but you're too afraid to go into it. What is God calling you to do? I'm going to pretty much end with uh, this, because I I think it's important. I hate talking about these things, but I just want to say it. Um, We need to check our priorities. Um, there, There are three Big killers for children's ministry too, but I'll just say for youth because I'm a youth pastor. So three big killers to a youth group. No particular order, but number one, sports. Another one is uh, relationships like boyfriend, girlfriend. And another one is school. Not education because education should be happening in the home and in the church. I'm talking about school. And these things take precedence over over God many times. And our actions show, me included, I'm guilty of it too, but our actions show that our children receiving an award for playing with a ball takes precedence over our children receiving, receiving an award for being obedient to the Lord. Our actions show that our kids' homework takes precedence over our God's or our, our children's daily time with God. Our actions show that our children delivering the cure for cancer takes precedence over our children delivering the gospel, the cure for sin, death, and hell. Our actions show that our children's attendance to school and to their sporting events takes precedence over their attendance to God on a daily basis with time with him and over their church family. Something has to change. We have to be the church that God has called us to be. He has to be our priority. But that won't be until he reminds us of our salvation. We remember our sanctification, everything that he's done for us, and fill ourselves up with him. And then it won't change until we respond with obedience. Something's got to change. I'm stepping on my toes too. Something has to change. Like We are the vessel that delivers life to this world, and this world is dying every day without him on their way to hell, and we're just letting it happen. Something has to change. Let's be the church that God has called us to be. 
Let's be obedient to the teaching that Pastor Corey delivers every single week on Wednesdays and Sundays. Let's be there listening, putting it into practice, and becoming the church that God has called us to be. Um, I'm going to ask for uh, forgiveness instead of permission. Something I want to do tonight. I usually have uh, youth on a Sunday night. Uh, we call it Sunday night lift, SNL. Um, every Sunday night from 5 to about 7. Tonight, I'm just wanting to do something different. I, want, I want, still want the youth to come, but I want to open it up for the whole church. We're just going to be in the youth room, and what I want to do is to pray. Just pray. It'll be from 5 to 6. We just want to pray. We want to pray for our pastor. We want to pray for our church. We want to pray for our youth ministry. We want to pray for our children's ministry. Because until we realize that we need God and go to him, nothing's going to change. God's the one that delivered them. God's the one that does the work. We just got to be obedient and follow him. So tonight, I just want to invite everybody, 5 o'clock in the youth room, we're just going to have a, a quick little worship and pray. Pray for these things because I truly believe, and I, I sound like a motivational speaker, oh, I think we can be the change, but I really do. I really think we could be the change for this nation. Little old Jonesville, if we do everything God's called us to do, I promise you we can be that change. What's he calling you to do? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for delivering us from sin. We thank you for sanctifying us, working in our hearts to make us more like Christ. Lord, right now, I just pray that you would help us to fill ourselves up with you. Help us to look like you instead of everything else that we chase after. Help us to be satisfied in you. Give us a desire to be close to you. And when we do that on an individual basis, when we come together, we can do great things for your glory as a church. So I pray right now that you would just spark revival in our hearts. And may we just be the spark that engulfs everybody else in flames to be on fire for you and for your glory. I pray that you would bless this church. We know that blessings uh, many times require obedience, so help us to be obedient as well. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.